my name is uh, Luke. Don't know who I am. And I'm married to Rowena. Um, and, to <laughs> and, um, and together we lead the worship team here at Welling, which is um, an uh, amazing privilege for us to do that. So just to start us off today, I just want to do a little bit of thinking. I know it's Sunday afternoon, but I'm sure you'll be okay. Um, so if I said to you, name a successful person, who would be the first person that comes into your mind? You don't need to tell me. Oh, thank you. Um, you don't need to tell me. You can keep it in your head, unless it is me, which is great. Um, so some of the names that I kind of Googled to find out about this. So we had the likes of Bill Gates, Richard Branson, J.K. Rowling, Steven Spielberg, um, Lionel Messi, Michael Jordan, Nelson Mandela, Billy Graham. So you might have thought of one of those, or kind of a famous person, a celebrity, or you might have chosen someone that you know instead. Or you might have even come up with the Sunday school answer of Jesus. <laughs> now, they're all successful for different reasons, but they all have one thing in common. They've all excelled in a particular area. So it got me thinking, is it dangerous to start? But what have I done, or what do I have to show as evidence of myself being successful? And this came at quite a timely kind of moment because I've just turned 30. So it's a good time to reflect and think back, you know, what have I done that's successful? Now, as you know, I play the piano. But the piano wasn't actually the first instrument that I played. I actually played the, um, an instrument called an electronic organ, which is a bit of a strange instrument. So if you think of a pipe organ, like a church organ in the church, you've got your two keyboards, you've got your pedals on the floor. It's very much like that, but instead of kind of that kind of music that you expect to hear, it was more jazz and pop, and I could do like drum beats on it and all sorts of stuff. It's very strange, very unique. Um, now, I used to love playing this instrument when I was younger. Um, and actually, when I met Ro, I think the first conversation I had with her, I did mention this. Um, it wasn't a chat-up line, just to put that out there. Um, but I don't think it did me any favours, to be honest, saying that. Because it's not the coolest instrument in the world. Um, and what's going to make me sound even cooler is I used to take part in organ competitions. So my, my family used to take me around the country to various places, so like Blackpool um, and other sorts of places like that, to take part in this competition where I'd be up against other people similar age to me from all around the world. So I'd be up against people from Japan, from France, from Spain, all these different places. Now, I did this for many years, and unfortunately, I never, ever got a trophy, which is very sad. I know, I should probably laugh at that. <laughs> um, but, this is the good news. In my final year, I managed to finish third, and I got a trophy, which is great. Now, the downside of it is there was only three people that took part that year. <laughs> that is true, there's only three people. So, um, I'm, I'm still trying to work out to this day... <laughs> Is this actually, does it actually count as a success or not? I'm not sure. Um, I tend to leave that last fact out when I tell people, so I count it as a success. But today, that's what we're going to be focusing on, is what is meant by being successful. So are we being successful? How do we know? And are we being successful at the right things? So I'm going to assume that everyone in here wants to be successful. I'm not talking necessarily about becoming famous um, or becoming the top of the field um, that you're kind of in. But what I'm talking about is doing well with what you have got. We have that deep feeling within that we want to accomplish things in our lives. Um, if I asked each of you to define what success was, I'm sure I'd get many different answers. And it'll be whether you know it or not, depending on kind of your upbringing or your family and things like that that have influenced that. Um, so here are some ways in which success have been defined over the years. And they should come up behind me. There's some quotes. So um, the first one is uh, from Winston Churchill. So he says that success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. I like that one. Um, Napoleon Powell said, there are no secrets to success. It is the result of preparation, hard work, and learning from failure. 
and then the last one, which is my favourite of them all, um, the only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. Um, so I think before we look at what it kind of looks like to be successful, we actually need to define what success is, because there's so many variants on it. So if we were to take a snapshot of the world and use that as a reference point for what does success look like, it'll be something along the lines of this. It'll be you make lots of money, you own a house, you have some kind of marquee achievement, like you've written a book or you've started your own business, um, you're in a relationship, uh, you're having, you've got lots of followers or people that you're influenced. And now in kind of the world that we live in, we can literally count how many followers we have through social media. So you can see that and use that as a barometer. Um, but as followers of Jesus, we don't actually take our guidance from the world because we know that with the world, the views change like the wind. Um, in contrast to this, we know that God's word is unchanging. We know that it's truth and we know that it's inerrant. So we look to the Bible, which is God-breathed, and we also look to the life of Jesus um, to kind of take our guidance from this. So how does Jesus' life then differ with what the world views as a success? So making lots of money, Jesus didn't have lots of money. He worked as a carpenter until he started his ministry. Owning a house, Jesus never owned a house. Being in a relationship, Jesus was never married, never had sex. Having lots of followers or people that we influence. Now he started with his 12 kind of core disciples. Um, I mean, I've even got more than 12 followers on Instagram. So, um, so if we compare that and look at that, by worldly standards, we could say that Jesus was unsuccessful. But as Christians, quite rightly, we would say that's ridiculous, isn't it? Um, so let's get into the Bible and see how Jesus redefined this meaning of success. So the passage we're going to focus on today um, is Romans 12:11, which you can't behind me. Um, I'm actually going to view it in lots of different versions. And I always find this is really helpful when you're kind of studying a passage in the Bible, is to look in different versions because it will open your eyes up to new things that you might not have seen in that version you're looking in. So the first one we're going to look at today is from the um, NIV. And it says, never be um, lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, I always like to double-check definitions in passages with words that I don't come across often. Like, I don't often use the word zeal in my life or fervor. So I just double-check them just to see what they meant. Um, so zeal means with great energy or enthusiasm, and fervor means intense and passionate feeling. So if you put those back into that verse, it says, never be lacking in great energy or enthusiasm, but keep your spiritual fervor, so an intense and a passionate feeling, serving the Lord. So the first thing to notice actually in this verse is not the verse itself. Now I don't know if you've ever noticed but in your Bible there'll often be subtitles that appear and they'll sum up what is kind of the next passage or what it's about. And so this one in the ESV, the subtitle we have before this verse says marks of the true Christian. So therefore never lacking in zeal and keeping your spiritual fervor as signs of a true Christian. So true Christians work hard, they give themselves to God, they serve him and they are passionate. So most of us are already thinking, here we go, I'm already giving out so much, how am I going to make sure that I'm never lacking in zeal? How am I going to make sure that I have this spiritual fervor? Um, to achieve this, surely I'm just going to need to do more things. But this is not actually what this verse is saying. In the message version, it says, don't burn out, keep yourself fueled and aflame. I mean, the truth is that most of us are extremely busy, either because we want to achieve a lot of things, or because a lot of things are expected of us, or we feel like they're expected of us. We are precious on every side, work, family, relationships, just to name a few. It can sometimes feel we're literally there just like spinning plates, trying to stop these plates from falling and crashing. Um, we want to be successful, and we don't want to fail. There's nothing wrong with that. And God doesn't want us to fail either. He wants us to succeed. It's just that his definition of success might just be a little bit different to our definition of success. 
I mean, we all want to be successful. There's lots of things that we want to do. If only we had that extra few hours in the day, if only we had a few extra days in the week. But unfortunately, we don't. So how do we get it all done? How can we be successful without burning ourselves out? And how can we keep ourselves, as the message version says, fueled in a flame? Um, so there's two big things that we're going to need to consider here. The first one is that we are creatures of dust. So yes, we're made in the image of God, and that's what gives us our value, and that's what gives us our worth. But we are not God. We were made. There was once a time when we didn't exist, and then there's going to come a time again on this earth when we don't exist. In Genesis 2, it says, the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground. Psalm 90 says, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. In Psalm 103, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Now, this truth is actually really freeing, that we have limits and we have limitations. It's easy to see limits, isn't it, as a negative thing. I don't want limitations. I want to be able to achieve everything I want to achieve and that I've decided I want to achieve. Um, and the rhetoric of the day is you can achieve anything you dream of. How often do you hear that? You can do whatever you like. Um, but actually, um, I can disprove that quite easily. Because if I decided today that I wanted to be a gold, um, gold medal Olympic, Olympic athlete doing figure skating, I wouldn't be able to do that, no matter how hard I tried. I mean, if you saw me skate, you would know why as well. Um, I'm like Bambi on ice. Actually, no. It would be a compliment if someone said to me, you are like Bambi on ice. But I just wouldn't be able to do it. No matter how much kind of I set out to, to do and to achieve it, I wouldn't be able to do it. But limitations, um, this can be freeing to know this truth. When you come to a point of accepting that you have these limitations, there is a real peace that can start to come over you. It also shifts you from being reliant on your own abilities. And instead, it helps you to start to lean onto God. In Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. We need to switch our reliance onto God. We can't do everything, but we're not expected to. God knows us. He knows our limitations. He's under no illusions about who he has gotten for his son. You know, we are creatures of dust. We don't need to achieve huge things, and we don't need to be considered successful um, from kind of the worldly point of view, because from dust we came and dust we're going to return. No matter what we build up on this planet, no matter what we accumulate, we're not going to leave with it, are we? I know this can sound quite morbid, um, but if we live our life in this context, it can just be so freeing for us. It can free us from those pressures that we just continually put ourselves under. So does this mean that we give up and just do nothing? Of course not. In the ESV version of Romans 12:11, it says we're not to be slothful, but instead be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We serve the Lord by using the gifts, using the talents and the treasures that he's given us in the sphere of influence in which he has placed us. And we strive to be successful in all that we do, which then leads us on to the second big thing that we need to consider. As I've already touched on, success in the kingdom of God often looks like a failure in the eyes of the world. But what the world looks at and thinks is a failure is not always a failure in the kingdom of God. Even at the height of his ministry, Jesus' ministry in John 6, he's just fed 5,000. He's done this incredible miracle. And then just in verse 61, it then says the disciples were grumbling. And then in verse 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. What? He's just performed like a miraculous miracle. And yet the disciples just turn around and just go, see you later, I'm off. They miss what was happening right in front of their eyes. Jesus losing these followers 
might make him look like a bit of a failure. Um, I mean, I'm not sure any of us would even begin to want to suggest that Jesus was a failure, but looking at some of these things from worldly standards, people might suggest that he was. So let's just pause for a second and do a little bit of self-reflection. So if you were to answer this question honestly, you don't need to tell anyone, don't panic. What does success look like for me this year? What would you say? So when you get to the end of this year and you're having a little look back, you're thinking, what kind of things would qualify as a success for you? Just think on that for 10 seconds and then I'll really be getting into that one. Most of us, I imagine, me included, would want to see something related to activity. So it'd be something um, that we achieve or do, something we're proud of, something tangible that we can kind of hang our hats on and say, I've done that, I've achieved that. But the thing is that what we achieve doesn't actually matter most. The number one priority or goal for us this year, now if you don't take anything away from this sermon at all, please take this away. The number one priority or goal for us this year is that I will grow and mature in my relationship with God I will grow as a disciple of Jesus and I'll ensure that there is good health in my relationship with God and with other people around me. Now, like I said, what we achieve matters, but it does not matter most. It's nowhere near as important as who we are. The danger is that we can all sit here and go, yes, yes, I agree with this, yes. But we then spend all of our energy doing things, don't we? Rather than actually just being. Um, Now, this is something that I can kind of closely relate to. I'm very fortunate that I have kind of a drive within me, and I'm sure lots of you do as well, that means that you want to be successful in everything that you do, no matter what it is. But unfortunately, as well as having its positives, there are negatives to this as well. With that inner drive, it does mean that you can kind of strive forward and you can just keep pushing and keep improving, which is great. But actually, it can start to control me, and it starts to turn everything into task-based activities rather than being relational. And sometimes what happens is this goes into my Christian life as well. And it goes into my relationship with God. Everything that I do starts to be task-based activities. I think if I don't do my Bible this morning, I'm a failure. I haven't achieved what I need to achieve. But that's not what it's about at all. It's about relation. It's not about these activities that we're doing. So it starts to distort my kind of view and my understanding of things. And I get really down on myself. But it should be, and my thought process should be in that moment, is I just want to spend time with God. It's not about what I'm actually doing. I just want to spend time with God because I love him and I want to know more about him. I want to dig deeper into this relationship. When Jesus sends out the 72 in Luke 10, they come back and they've just cast out demons. They return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Look what we've done. It's great. And Jesus says, you know what? You're right. It is. Well done. You've achieved good stuff. But nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, Jesus wants to remind them, and he also wants to remind us, that their joy comes from their relationship with him. It doesn't come from their achievements. That's really important to get. It comes from the relationship with him, not from the achievements for him. In Matthew 22, um, there's a confrontation between the religious leaders and Jesus and his disciples. The religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus with their questions. Um, A lawyer comes to him, um, and he says, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So in answering this question, Jesus didn't actually rebuke him um, for another attempt to try and trap him. 
Rather, he answers and just states the first and greatest commandment is to love your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. Jesus doesn't list a load of things that he needs to achieve and things he needs to do in his life. To love God with all that you are is the most central thing in life. So if that's the most central thing in life, it's always good to ask ourselves, how is our relationship with God? Many of us would probably start to think things like, well, I'm here at church, aren't I? So it must be going well. (laughs) Or I'm part of a community, so it's going great. But actually, if we take all Christian activity aside, how is your relationship with God? So how is your joy in him? Are you hearing his voice? Do you trust him? How is your faith? They're very uncomfortable questions, but it's so important that we just keep asking ourselves these questions because, again, if you just get obsessed with activity, what am I doing? What am I doing? That's not what it's about. Isn't it strange, though, that as soon as we start thinking about our relationship with God, we immediately start turning it into what are we doing for God? What things am I getting done for him? And the problem is that it then turns activity, it makes it equal relationship, which is not the way that it works. If I spend all my time doing things for Rose, so maybe I'm doing the washing up, maybe I'm tidying the house, maybe I go pick her up from the station, which are all good things, but I don't actually spend any time with her, I think she's going to have a few things to say to me. And I know from experience that, yeah, this does happen. <laughs> I've been told off before. Um, so how much more so with God? Activity is not wrong. But activity that doesn't flow from relationship is dead. We need to get our hearts in the right place first. Actions will then start to follow. Sometimes our actions, and this is the danger, can actually mask that our heart is not in the right place. Um, in Philippians 3.7, again, it's going to come up behind me, um, 3 to 11, um, this is what it says. It says, um, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Sometimes it becomes part of our default thinking that external markers, everything that's going on outside of our body is an indication that everything must be right and healthy. So if we're coming to the church, if we're joining in community, surely everything must be absolutely fine. Um, because otherwise, things wouldn't be successful, would they? Um, but the sad reality is that it is completely possible to build a church. It's completely possible to build a ministry, a team, a small group, relying on our own gifts, our own personality, our own skills, our own talents and experience. It's entirely possible to actually be successful in serving Christ without actually thinking much about Jesus at all and without relying on him. It's pretty easy to stand here and to preach bold truths without actually living them ourselves as well. Authenticity is such a massive challenge, but as Christians, it's something that we need to be dedicated in having. Um, In Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, This should cause us to think again about these things. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is possibly, I think, one of the most challenging and honestly one of the scariest passages I've ever come across in the Bible. I remember when I was doing Academy, and Phil Moore kind of mentioned this in one of his talks, 
And since then, it just constantly comes up in my thought process, and it acts as a little bit of a wake-up call for me. Um, speaking for myself, I much prefer passages that are encouraging and they are friendly. So like the ones that you get on kind of fridges, like fridge magnets. Hands up if you have this verse on your fridge on a fridge magnet. <laughs> no one, I didn't think so. Um, it's, it's a really scary passage, but actually, warnings in Scripture are invitations. So we should pay a lot of close, close attention to them. Passages like this are big flashing warnings saying, don't be like this. Take extra care not to do this, because actually I want to invite you to this instead. It's not just a warning shot and it's left there. Jesus wants to invite you into something more. So um, what Jesus says here, he says that these people who invest in doing more than being, sorry, these people who are investing in doing more than they are in being, they're very successful at it. They have all the marks of incredible uh, successful ministry, performing miracles, driving out demons and all these things. But there's one thing wrong. Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. How is that possible? He knows everything about us. He knows us when we're in our mother's wombs. He is, there's nowhere we can go from his presence. But yet he still says, I don't know you. That know that he's using is personal. It's intimate. It's similar. So um, in the beginning of time when Adam and Eve, um, they were in the garden and they were naked and they were unashamed. It's that similar kind of intimate word there. They knew God and God knew them. So having a successful ministry, being sincere in calling God Lord, even knowing a lot about God, none of these things matters if we remain unknown by Jesus. Jesus doesn't say we can't do things, lead things, or even build a church without him. Evidently we can. But what he says is that in the end, these things are worth nothing unless they flow out of a relationship and intimacy in knowing him. In other words, what we do matters, but nowhere near as much as who we are. And time and time again, throughout the pages of scriptures, we are warned, remember warnings, these are invitations, so we're invited to focus on what matters most. Um, in John 15, it says, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The branch here is dependent on that vine for absolutely everything, for life. Without it, it's not going to be able to live. And this is a dependency that we need to have on God. In the story of Martha and Mary, which I'm sure we know very well, you have Martha who's running around, doing lots of things, trying to get things done. But then you have Mary who's sitting at the feet of Jesus, just spending time with him. And what does Jesus say? He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious, you are troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. One thing is necessary. In John 5, it says, pages 39 to 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. It's so possible, isn't it? To, we can be reading scriptures, like I said about doing Bible in the year. You can be so um, just getting wound up about the fact that you're behind and you can't get it done in time. You can just miss the fact that, no, it's about knowing Jesus, isn't it? It's not about just getting through a certain amount a day. It's about growing in your relationship with Jesus. The number one priority on our list is to be with Jesus. Out of my being with Jesus, I can do things for him, not the other way around. Um, so this morning, actually, I was scrolling through Twitter, and something very helpful came up this week. There was a, a quote from A.W. Tozer, and what he said was, 
I believe the Lord wants us to learn more of him in worship before we become busy for him. He wants us to have a gift of the spirit, an inner experience of the heart. Out of that will grow the profound and deep and divine activities which are necessary. It starts from worship, and then we can get busy for him, not the other way around. We don't start busy and then try and cram into a little time in our day. We start with worship to get our hearts right with God. And the thing is that with the amount of things that we have access to now at the tips of our fingers, we are easily the most distracted generation ever, aren't we? So more than ever, we're going to have to fight for this. Jesus himself gives us a fantastic model of how we can actually live with all of these competing demands that they have, the house that we have on us. In Luke 5, 15 to 16, the news started to spread about Jesus. People were coming to him to be healed. And what he does is he engages with them. But crucially, he also finds time to withdraw as well. So he's engaged, he's busy, yet he makes time to withdraw. And this is the way that we need to um, live our lives. We need to engage, we need to be fully present in wherever we are, whatever we're doing. Sometimes we can struggle with this because we're constantly thinking about the next thing. What do I have to do tomorrow? What do I have to do at work? But actually, we need to engage fully in that moment. And then what happens is we withdraw and we get fueled and plagued, which is what it says in Romans 12, 11. And I think we'd all agree we don't actually often have an issue um, with being somewhere and doing something, but withdrawing, that's a whole other matter, isn't it? That's the challenging bit. So this is not, though, when we're withdrawing, this is not just purely about quiet times and devotions, but they are important. Spiritual disciplines, they're important as well. Um, having these um, intense experiences with God, again, fantastic as they are, it's not all about that. It's not even just about managing your life and your diary. A life of intimacy with God is a life of abiding. It's about giving God full access to your life. So think about it. Jesus said, I never knew you. But it actually make more sense he said you never knew me but i never knew you means that you never allowed jesus full access to you in revelation 3 uh, it says behold i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come into him and eat with him and he with me often this can be used to um kind of talk to non-christians about the gospel but actually he's talking to the church here and what he says is i'm here i'm knocking the life I want for you to know and experience is a life where you invite me in so that I may know you. So if we just jump back to John 15 for a minute, which says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Um, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to abide. We need to have a connection and we need to have a dependence on Jesus. Again, with anything we aim to do in our lives, we need help from the Holy Spirit. We need to depend on him and through him this is then possible. Abiding in Jesus is a non-negotiable trait as the Christian life. We have to open up every single area of our life in every moment to this. Now, I've become very good at comp compartmentalizing my life. So I do lots and lots of different jobs. So what I have to do is kind of put things in a box and keep it there um, so then I don't have to kind of get distracted and think about what I need to do um, with my other work or in that work or whatever it may be. But what happens is sometimes I can drag Jesus into this as well. I can put him into a box as well and say, you'll be over there when I need you, and I'll come over and just let, let you out when I need you. But that's not the way it works. Jesus needs to infiltrate every single area of our life, and he needs to be there with us in everything that we do. Whether that's at work on a Monday morning, church on a Sunday, he needs to be there with us, and we need to invite him in 
and open ourselves up to him as well. Um, Jesus says it doesn't matter what you do. If what you do doesn't come from a place of complete and full openness to being known by me. Again, the warning is an invitation. An invitation to the rich, full life of knowing and being known by and enjoying God. Of allowing the gospel to shape our lives on a daily basis. So the highest calling on our lives is to know God. To enjoy him. To glorify him. And to grow in that. And you will therefore be successful. George Miller said this. I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have myself happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify to the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man may be nourished. And again, this is just another reason why I think it's so helpful to start our days with a time of devotion. So this is the invitation that accompanies the warning, that we might know the joy of knowing and also being known by God. So as we kind of come to the end of this, I want us to do some real thinking on this. Um, So what do you need to do to allow God to have full access? Do you maybe need to stop some things? Maybe you need to start some things. Do you need to develop a routine? Now, we don't meet Jesus in routines, but sometimes a routine can definitely help. Jesus says, come to me. Let's focus all our energy and zeal on taking up this invitation. So just to finish, remember back to John 15, 5 again. I said it twice now. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, so I'm going to get the worship team back up. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it'd be great to respond to this. Um, like I said, um, it's all about knowing Jesus, and it starts from a place of being. It doesn't start from a place of doing. Um, so I'm just going to hand over to Joe. Is that right? To lead us through this.